0: welcome to secret sauce for success show number one
1: hi everybody you have tuned in to the secret sauce for success show where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success we interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success we sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be enjoy the show
0: What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show, live from Colorado, with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. How's it going, Doug?
1: Hey, it's going really well, Rick. Thanks for asking, man. It's good to be here. Glad to be with you today. Looking forward to another fun show. Yeah. So, hey,
0: we're almost to the new year. And what what do you got? Do you make any New Year's resolutions
1: coming up? (laughs) Buy more real estate.
0: (laughs) That's good. That's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, have, have, uh, wanted to be more involved in the real estate business for a long time. I've got other investments and, and some background in other places and, uh, actually, uh, have some insight into the, uh, the real real estate business that, um, and I think kind of gives me some, uh, some insight as to some things I can do. So I'm looking forward to learning from some other people and, and finding out what's going on in other people's lives.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. And, you know, for me, um, yeah, for looking forward to twenty twenty one with this podcast, I think it should be uh, uh, just a fun avenue to get to know people and see what they've done.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yep. absolutely. and get this coronavirus out of out of here with the vaccines coming out.
1: Right, exactly. And you know, we can get back out in this, back out into this society and see some people again.
0: Yeah, that's going to affect uh, you know, like commercial real estate for businesses. You know, if you were trying to pick up a small business, I think now would be the time.
1: Yeah. And I think if you're looking to get into commercial real estate, there'll probably be a dip in the market here in the very near future, because uh, if they continue these lockdowns, people won't need office space anymore. So it could be a, an interesting opportunity for the, for the right person out there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, before we go any farther, do you have a word of the wise? Uh, any tidbits you have for the, Want to be investors
1: well i think the uh, uh to quote socrates the only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing so keep your mind open and understand that uh, you don't have the answers even if you've been doing this for 30 years you might tune in and, and hear somebody say something uh hear a little tidbit of information that uh, that opens your eyes to a new avenue or helps you see something in a different light so no matter where you are i think that's just good knowing knowing that uh wisdom, a true wisdom here is knowing that you really don't know everything and that you have something you can learn.
0: Yeah. Be coachable, I Absolutely. think is the the tip there. Yeah. What about David Chippergan, our, our guest that we uh, interviewed yesterday
1: and wasn't he good? Yeah. What a great guy, man. I was really fascinated with uh, what he had to say uh, and myself having to remind myself that, uh, I was supposed to be interviewing him, not listening to what he had to say. (laughs) That was, but it was great. You know, that, that's me. I get, I like to learn and listen to people. So uh, this is a great Avenue for me. I get to ask them questions when I have a question and, and soak in all the great information that they have. Yeah. One of
0: the things, you know, that impressed me about him was, uh, just the variety of things he, he did, uh, you know, besides real estate, he rented out his truck to, you know, to make some extra cash and it didn't work out, you know, really. Uh, but you know, he was open to it.
1: Sure. I think that's great. And it's good thing he has a truck because he also likes to pick up old appliances on the side of the road, see if he can fix them and sell them for money. I mean, what a, what an interesting person to be around. You never know what he's going to do.
0: So yep. yeah, yeah, that was great yep absolutely all right well without further ado let's get to the interview with david tippergan welcome to secret sauce for success uh podcast uh glad to
2: have you here thanks rick and doug i'm happy to be here that would be yes. great uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so um my name is David Tipper again. Um, I am an engineer, electrical engineer, work for a big conglomerate. Um, and basically, that's how I started out. Engineer nine to five, just focused on work, being a good you know, performer at work. Um, and somewhere, you know, late 20s, early 30s, I just had kids and decided that my focus should be spending time with them as opposed to anything else. So that's kind of what started me on this path of going into real estate. And what was your first taste into real estate or what was your first jump there? So when um, my wife and I got married, we moved to Denver pretty early in our marriage. And when we moved to Denver, the first thing we did, my wife wanted to try out this new thing called Airbnb, and she wanted to do it so that we could see where to live in the city. So we stayed a week. And different parts of the city, all these places that she had previously heard about, and we were staying in people's rear efficiency, you know, their basement, that kind of thing. And after talking with them, they were telling us that, you know, we we were staying and we're we were thinking it's pretty cool. And right away, we started talking with these owners, and they were telling us that, you know, hey, this having it as an Airbnb paid for their mortgage. So we decided, you know, hey, on the first house that we buy here in Denver. Um, why don't we have it as a rental, as, as a kind of a house hack, you know, live in part of it and rent out the other part. So we did that. Um, I did all the work myself in the basement. We can talk about that later if you guys want to, but it turned into um, renting out the basement and we were able to kind of section it off with the door so that the basement guest could uh, basically, we wouldn't interact with him if we didn't need to and we, we had it as a rental and it was booked every single day for a year straight we didn't have a single opening and um after we saw that we we're like man this is this is pretty cool and i started getting into real estate i started doing all the research on you know what what does real estate look like so
0: you had the taste of somebody else paying your mortgage
2: yeah exactly and you know i had had re- roommates you know, previously at other houses and things like that. But for whatever reason, that wasn't, that wasn't what kind of got me going. It was just kind of renting my base, my, the basement of our house as an Airbnb and seeing how much money it really brought in. And I guess that was the main difference that kind of started me going down that path. Um, Yeah. And so um, from there, you know, the next step um, was, I would say I started looking at uh, well, first off, I, I wrote a business plan, which is kind of funny. It's kind of hokey, you know. The it, it felt really hokey at the time. You know, you 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 hear people say, "Well, if you're going to start a business, have a business plan," and that's the way I approached it. Is it was a business, and I had wrote this business plan that basically said, you know, um, my goal is to have a thousand dollars cash flow a month, and um, and it's funny. Um, my wife and I went through it last on our taxes just now, and. Last year we made 56,000 in cash flow, and with all the different rentals we had and things like that. So, you know, that's a little under 5,000 a month. And I had put that together in 2014, I guess, that goal of making a thousand a month. And it was funny because it, it basically within no time at all, I was surpassing that goal. Wow. And I think that's
0: uh, uh, one of the big things I think that leads to success is defining your game plan. And and then executing because if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to get there.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know that was kind of the way I started is you know simple business plan, um, getting a team together, trying to figure out where I wanted to you know stay. So I started getting all these books, you know all these real estate books, reading them. Um, and then from there, you know I I decided to try the buy and hold strategy. I wanted to buy a house and I wanted to keep it as a long term rental and. And I had heard, you know, you need a team, you need to get together a team to kind of be more successful. And, um, basically I started investing, um, out of state. I mean, I'm in Colorado and Rick, you know, this, it's really hard to have a rental in Colorado, especially in Denver where I was at. And so, well, it's so not where, hard to rent it. It's hard to get it right. Yeah. Where it makes <laughs> money, you know, and that's, ai uh, don't know, you know, and, And I know people, you know, my parents had had rental, like they had a rental growing up and that kind of thing. And I knew people that had rentals, but no one approached it as a business, I guess is the big thing. You know, no one ran the numbers on houses and I didn't know anyone that actually did it that way. Everyone I knew is like, oh yeah, I bought a house and then I just turned it into a rental. So I did all this research. I started looking at, okay, how do I run numbers on a house? What are costs? What what are expenses? Um, How do I figure out what rent is? what it goes for you know and at the beginning you know when
0: we're evaluating all these different shiny objects right Mm -hmm. Uh, how did you sift through them and try to find the where you wanted to go
2: so I went my strategy was to go with places that I had experience with Um, it's funny you know I um, with an Airbnb first off I started looking at like oh well there's um, some tools. There's a tool called air DNA and air DNA. Basically it, it, you can go in and you can get reports on any city in the U S. And so um, well, well, what's funny is the, the, you get one free state and the free state is Tennessee. So you, get, well, it was back then. <laughs> and so you run these numbers on Nashville and you're like, Oh my gosh, Nashville makes so much money. And then you run numbers on like Memphis and you're like, Oh my gosh, Memphis makes so much money. And And then I started running numbers on, like, other places like Pittsburgh, right? I was like, oh, let me run, you know, on Pittsburgh. And one thing I realized pretty fast is then I met somebody from Pittsburgh, and I told them, like, what I was looking at. And they said, you don't want anything to do with that. (laughs) You know, like, that that area could be pretty problematic. And then same thing with, like, Tennessee. I met somebody that was from Memphis, and I was telling them the area that I was looking at. And they said, no, you don't want to be there, you know. Nothing against it. It was just they were saying, like – That would be really hard to manage if you're not there kind of thing, you know? And so, um, I, with all these shiny objects. Where did you go? So I went to Texas and that's because I'm from Waco, Texas. I started looking at Waco, Texas first. Um, it didn't look Waco didn't work. Um, Airbnbs looked like it could work. Um, and I actually talked my parents into turning their house into an Airbnb and that worked for them for a while. Um, but I couldn't, I didn't see that there was a market really in Waco. There was a draw from Magnolia, which is you know the fixer-upper show, but I didn't see any draw other than that. There's Baylor, but in Waco, there's a thing called Baylor Bubble where the houses are more, you know, they're pricier around Baylor, so you kind of pay for that. So I didn't. And then on top of that, I knew people that were investing in Waco, and property taxes were doubling basically every year. So I stayed out of Waco, and then. I went to Fort Worth and I started looking around Fort Worth. Uh, I have family there. My brother, I have a younger brother there. And so I picked somewhere where I had people local that could go in and look at it. Um, If I was to do an Airbnb in an area, if I was to want to branch out now and go to a different city, I would, but I wouldn't be afraid. The thing that I've kind of realized along the way with Airbnbs, especially is you're putting a lot of money into an Airbnb just in like, you know, furnishing it and everything else. So the concern of a flight over to look at an area shouldn't be a consideration, you know, and anyway, but um, it, it was basically like getting eyes on the property. And since I had new people in Fort worth, it was a lot easier to get people to go look at a house that I had, you know, had some interest in. So my what was your first state. deal there? So my first deal there was, um, was a duplex and it was in a little town called Crowley which is south of Fort Worth a little bit um it's a little bit more working class and the the duplex we bought was pretty small but um basically a realtor my brother was talking to a realtor I was just talking with my brother and I asked him I asked him if he knew of any good deals and he said oh my realtor just told me about this duplex you know and he didn't think anything of it he just said it in passing but when he told me and immediately I jumped on it because the price was so low and it was in Fort Worth in an area that seemed pretty good. So then I ran the numbers on it and immediately saw that it would make, you know, 15% at what it was just at what the listing price was going to be. So my brother wanted to be in on the deal also, which is fine. And we decided to go into a partnership and he paid for half. I paid for the other half. It was $50,000. We each put 25,000 in and We had a partnership going and we were renting it. And we decided to stay out of, we didn't, we wanted it to be fair in the partnership. I mean, this is, you know, if you own a partner or if you're in a partnership, you just decide how you're going to run it. But we had decided that since we were out of town, we wanted to treat it like my brother was out of town also. And any work that needed to be done, be handled through like repair technicians or whatever, right? Skilled labor. And so that's the way we approached that one. That was the first one. And what was the second one? After that, we bought um, same real estate agent. We bought four duplexes. So again, with the partnership, we went in and bought four duplexes. I bought two, he bought two. And then um, they were in section eight housing in another part of Fort Worth. That one, again, we purchased it and it was a little bit low, below market value. We, we bought it before it hit the market. Um, we knew the agent that um, the seller the selling realtor, I guess, um, that the owners were going to use. And so we, they knew, and this is another thing, kind of another big thing with this, like kind of how I approach things is they knew that we could close on it, that we would close. And the way that, you know, kind of the way we operate is um, I had somebody, when I first started down all this path, I, I met somebody that is, you know, done really well for themselves in real estate. And what they said is just have cash on hand and then the deals will come to you basically. And so I just started hoarding cash and saving money as much as possible. You know, I, I, I chose where I wanted to cut corners, where I didn't want to spend that kind of thing and just started hoarding cash so that if a deal came, you know, that we go in and, and buy it. And that's what happened is they approached us with these four duplexes said, Hey, this is on the market. And we went in and bought them. Um, so your would, success
0: was through Airbnb originally. Right. Then you started bought bought some duplexes with your brother, and then you bought some by yourself. And how how is the, how are the numbers working out at this point?
2: So, um, the Airbnb is doing great. Um, the duplex, the first duplex we bought, is doing great. It's doing thirteen percent. The du duple- the Airbnb was doing. Um, what was it? It was doing like 12. I forgot exactly what it was, but it was doing, we had it 80 bucks a night and it was booked for every night. So whatever that is. And then they play, they pay for the cleaning fee So that wasn't coming out of our cost. So that's, so that's what that was doing. But then the other duplexes we bought after the fact were kind of duds. Um, we bought them low, which was good. Um, rent, like would have made money, which is good. But the problem we had is that um, there was section eight housing, which is fine if you have good tenants, but we didn't have, again, we were, we were in the partnership. So we were handling, we weren't handling the um, contracts and finding the tenants and all that. Like we normally would, if I handled, if if it wasn't in the partnership and I was trying to find them. So And this was property management. We had a property manager. And so then the property management kind of, didn't do a good job. And then the tenants started complaining and then the tenants stopped paying and a lot of things. And, you know, it was back and forth. We, we had gone into it thinking, well, we'll fix anything if it breaks. So that shouldn't be a concern. But then it turned into a lot of things were breaking and no one was paying rent. So we started losing money fast. So then we turn around and we listed it a year later for sale. And, um, and, uh, we were able to pull our money out of it. And, you know, the problem there was not, it wasn't the tenants. It wasn't, you know, the houses or the, the market or anything. It was just, we didn't have a good property manager and we didn't have a good property manager relationship, you know, and that's, you know, maybe that property manager is good. It just didn't work well for us, but, um, we should have kind of shopped around. And basically what happened was is because it was in a partnership um, I wasn't doing the work, and my brother wasn't doing the work to you know follow up on the property manager. And when I do
0: yeah, that's one thing I love about real estate. Here it sounds like you really uh, stubbed your toe, you made some mistakes, but yet you're able to sell it a year later and and not get hurt. You know, got, you got recoup your money, and that's what I think. It's real estate is so forgiving. You know, if you're willing to work with it a little bit,
2: right, right, and that's exactly kind of. That's exactly the way it was, right? We purchased it at below market and then we turned around and we sold it for, at market value, you know? And yeah, that it ended up working out well. And then um, after that, um, we decided to buy another Airbnb. Um, we had success with Airbnb here in Colorado. So we bought another one out of state. Um, and then from there- And, and how that did in, that perform? That one did well. And that we still have that one to this day. We haven't sold out. That one's in Fort Worth. The only thing is we're looking at doing possible corporate rental as opposed to doing uh, Airbnb, kind of a nightly rate thing. Um, but it does well. It does. Um, I think it does like 20000 a year, if not more. But
0: and how did that, how does COVID, you know, with COVID, oh, and man. How, how did that impact the Airbnb? It
2: took a real hit. I mean, I think the first month we lost $2,000 basically in income. And then it slowly came back. But it, it's still way down from previous years. And so that's like another real concern is, you know, do you buy it at a price point where you can pay it? If, if it, you, know, do you have cash on hand to pay your mortgage, if all of a sudden you have a COVID year. And so it kind of worked out that this house was, we bought it at a good price point before a lot of appreciation happened in the Fort Worth area. And so because of that, we're able to you know, handle it when the income isn't quite there. But it's done OK. Um, we've had to pay more in cleaning costs because our cleaners, you know, want to charge more. But that's again with with Airbnb, our biggest kind of hurdle has always been cleaners. Um, we're able to find good handymen. And again, you know, here I am. I'm managing it out of state. I'm not in I'm not in Texas and it's an Airbnb. And so I rely a lot on um, guest reviews and then on top of that, like guest communication back and forth. And then I use apps. Um, The number one app I use for Airbnbs is your Porter and that handles listing it on multiple different platforms, VRBO, Airbnb, um, booking.com is the other one. And then also um, we use home advisor and thumbtack. Any kind, anytime we have problems those are and i even use those here and that's you know if i'm having trouble finding a plumber i just go to thumbtack and put plumber right and i'm able to find one if i need to take pictures of the house for airbnb i look for, for photographers on on thumbtack and that's the way i do it i don't need anyone in in that area really but again you rely on your cleaning team and you rely on handyman and all that kind of stuff and you you know have a relationship with them. You build that team to kind of go in and tell you, Hey, if something's up, you know, and, and the other, the other thing with it is um, you end up paying a little bit more in maintenance for things. And it's just kind of the name, name of the game with Airbnb, right? You need it done fast. You need a good job done. So if you have some issue, then you got to pay for it to get done, you know, water leak, drywall repair, anything, you know, furniture repair. We've had to find furniture repair, which is kind of funny like a lamp. I had a lamp repaired one time, <laughs> like, which is, you know, weird, but yeah.
0: yeah. So Doug, so, do you have any questions to ask David
1: here? I was thinking about uh, listening to the kinds of things that you've been involved in. Sounds like you're a long-term hold kind of person. How did you feel about uh, fixing flips?
2: Um, so I'm personally, I'm not comfortable with them just because I don't do it day to day is what I'd say. Um, the house I'm in right now, this is, you know, this is a fix and flip. My wife and I, I and Brick knows this, which is kind of funny. My wife and I, we moved out of the house we were living in into a tiny home to turn that house, the entire house into an Airbnb. And the tiny home, it was just a rear efficiency house, house built in 1907. And it was a 400 400 square foot house, one bedroom, and we had two kids. Um, And why did you do that? Just so that we could uh, reduce our mortgage payment. You know, our mortgage was 2,100 a month. And we moved into a place where the rent was 500 bucks a month. And so by doing that, we could, we brought down our cost on everything. um, And then we were able to look at our house as an Airbnb and see if it made money. And then after we had that, after we moved in, we said, okay, well, we want to purchase a home. And since I have this real estate mindset, I was looking for fix and flips. Um, And it's kind of funny because we When we approached it, we said, "Well, we could pay for this house that's kind of nice, and we could pay four hundred thousand dollars for this house that's kind of nice, or we could buy like a house that needs a lot of work for three hundred thousand dollars." And what we realized, uh, kind of, when you're on the market, a lot of people, like just general people that are, you know, dealing with MLS, if they're looking to buy a house, they're not going to buy a fix and flip because a lot of people don't have cash on hand to do major repairs. That's kind of the one of the barriers. The only people that do are folks that are, you know that are, you know, doing fix and flips all the time. And so and they have hard money loans or whatever it is. So you you your pool of people that you're competing with goes down if you are looking on MLS for some of these, you know, fix and flip kind of things. Um so we bought a fix and flip, but um But you're not flipping it, you're living in it. Right. And we we bought it as a kind of fix and live in kind of thing. And um, but I I see how you could lose your shirt really easily on a fix and flip. You know, this one, we moved into this house. And when we moved into this house, we wanted to make it nice. And so by making it nice, that means that we took out like a lot of the drywall and we went in and we redid the wiring in the entire house. We did plumbing, redid plumbing in the entire house. I had a jackhammer in the basement and I was jackhammering up the floor, putting in new drain, you know, new sewer lines. And so I did all these things and some of them were necessary and some of them weren't. And kind of what I've noticed in and around this area is that a lot of these houses that are being flipped by, you know, a contractor or whoever it is, these investors, um, they don't fix everything. And that's, and that's because you can't make money fixing everything most of the time. You know Um, it depends who you're selling it to and how much you're selling it for obviously and what you bought it for. But Um, the one house that we were looking at purchasing at the same time we bought this one, um, we weren't able to get to it. We weren't able to get it for whatever reason, but, um, we kept an eye on it. And three months later it got listed, you know, it it was sold to a real estate investor. And three months later it was sold again after it was renovated. And, uh, one that, you know, they replaced the floors for the most part, they replaced the carpet, they painted it, they put in new kitchen, new countertops, things that were dated like that. Um, but they, what they didn't do is they didn't fix, you know, bathrooms. They didn't fix the bedrooms. They didn't fix one of the bedrooms had a AC unit, like a, um, a window unit, basically, that had been mounted inside the wall. And if you drive on the outside, you can see this window unit is still there to this day. And you would think a house that sells for $675,000 wouldn't have a window unit inside the wall, but it does, you know. And if I bought it, I would want to go in and do the drywall repair. I would want to go in and, and like fix the outside, fix the siding on the outside. Cause it doesn't cost that much, but that's the wrong mindset, right? Oh, well it doesn't cost that much or is it necessary? You know? And so that's kind of my experience with like these fixer upper kind of houses is, is that it's really easy to fall into the trap of, Oh, well, that's just a little bit more. Oh, that's just a little bit more. And that's, you know, kind of where, I stand. I think you can do it. You just have to have a lot of experience. And the other thing with it is there's holding costs associated with it. And a lot of people don't talk about holding costs. That's one thing we realized when we bought this house is we're renting another place. We're not living in this house. We're working on this house. This is for a year. Well, I have to pay, you know, I took loans from individual loans or whatever, 401k loan, whatever it was to buy this house. And I have to pay all those loans off every month on top of paying, Rent at where I'm staying. So that's all my holding cost, you know? And people don't mention that. And so when you, when people tell you, oh, this is how much money I made, you know, if it's an average Joe on the street telling you, oh, I bought this house, I did this work, and then I turned around and sold it, they're not going to tell you that they spent $10,000 in holding cost, you know? And then on top of that, we just sold a house recently and you have closing costs and you have realtor fees and, you think, oh, I'm going to make so much money when I sell it, and then you realize, oh, there's all these fees at the end, you know.
0: Yeah, and the cap short-term capital
2: capital gains, huh? and you have there's to pay taxes, right? Exactly, so, exactly. A lot of costs. Right. So, you know, that's that's my thought on fix and flips. Is they can be tough if you don't have an experience, and if you don't have experience, especially with with kind of fixing things in general, um, then you could be kind of stuck. And while maybe it's fine, maybe maybe you find a contractor that does it all, and you get lucky right out of the gate, you know. But in my in my experience with it, it's hard to find a good contractor that's um, cheap. Is the other thing is they usually know they're good, you know. So
0: let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stall Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with Homesmart and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say.
1: Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services.
0: One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stylereality at gmail.com or text call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. So you've tried the, you had success with the Airbnbs. You tried some uh, long-term rentals that didn't quite work out as well as you hoped. you went back to Airbnb. You bought a fix and hold for your primary residence. Is there anything else there that were missed?
2: Yeah. Um, Let's see, a couple other things. I um uh, a fun Another fun one I did, and this goes back to just hoarding cash and always having cash on hand, is uh, someone called me up one day and said, hey, I have this house. This is in Texas again. And they said, hey, I have this house for $40,000. And they told me details on the area and all that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, well, I want it. And they said, well, we don't want to sell it to you. We want you to finance it because we know you have the money. And they told me, you know, we're looking at 10% can you, you know, are you happy with 10% on your money? It's fine by me. So, um, you know, went to a real estate attorney and wrote up a contract where, you know, I had bought the house and was doing seller financing to this individual. And, you know, and if, if they didn't pay, I would have been happy to take over the property kind of thing, you know, but it, it turned into, you know, I, I think it was two years, a year or two that I, w- I was just basically a note holder and they were paying me 10% on, on this money. And then, um, so that, that was the more fun one I would say. And then on top of that, I've done some kind of more eccentric things. My wife and I are always looking for a different way to do it. So after we did Airbnb, there's another service called Toro where you can do the same thing with your car and that's, you know, you go in and you rent your car out to individuals. And so I, we did that for a little bit, um, I got tired of cleaning my car constantly and vacuuming my car. It's funny. I, it was me and taxi cab drivers or me and Uber drivers at the car wash at seven o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, it's really, it's, it's not fun washing your car in Colorado in the winter time at seven o'clock in the morning, you know, and then you're out there vacuuming it. So then we went and we took, you know, our vehicle to a service that did it kind of like a property manager does it with rentals. The service did it with this car and we just weren't happy with it. So we went away, but then, um, you know, I also do another kind of funny little quirk is um, is like I do appliance repair. I randomly got into a, appliance repair. And if I ever see an appliance on the side of the road, I'll, I will go and I'll pick it up, figure out what's the matter with it, and then turn around and, you know, fix it and try to sell it. You know, I, I, I try to make about $50 an hour when I mess with that so I, I look at what it's valued for and I, and how long it'll take me to fix it. But that's kind of, I do appliance repair. I do small engine repair. I do, um, you know, buying motorcycles, turn around, selling them, just anything, anything. I don't watch TV. That's what I don't do. Yeah. Yeah. And the curse of an engineer here, always trying to fix things. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like you've, uh, you've tried a lot of stuff. Uh, You had success in some and, you know, a lot of things are in your life. Um, So what, if you had to list out a top three, top five things that uh, contributed to your
2: success, what would they be? Well, um, first off, I would say the first thing that kind of, that started everything really is um, I met my wife, girlfriend at the time and She's a financial planner, and the first thing she she kind of went through the fin- my finances with me. She's like, "Well, how much money do you make? How much do you have in you know retirement?" And then quickly realized that I had no money and I was spending it off.
0: <laughs> and um, and she still married you?
2: Well, so then <laughs> 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 then. What happened was, is she kind of showed me time value of money, right? And I went in and um, she showed me, okay, well, this is what you should do. First thing, I, I even remember the first thing. She's like, if you can save $5,500 to put in a IRA, it'll be great. So then it started there where I was spending all my money. And then within a year, I was saving half of my income. I mean, literally like a switch flipped, And then it was like this different mindset of like, well, why do I need to buy this? Why do I need to buy that, right? Like, I don't need any of this stuff. I don't need to be going out. And, you know, if I go out and have a good time with my friends, I don't need to be spending money left and right, you know, that kind of thing. So that was the first one is just like realizing that your money has value and just by saving it and pinching pennies and not spending it on here, you know, that kind of thing. That was the first thing. Um, And then from there is just, I would say definitely house hacking, just like going through and realizing that I could have somebody else pay my rent for me or pay my mortgage for me. You know, um, that was the big one after that. It was just like, I got hit with a bus, you know, I just realized I've been, why haven't I been doing this? You know, and I kind of kicked myself because I got a job in 2010 when houses are cheap, like I got a job and my brother went and bought a house for $50,000 in Fort Worth. That's worth $250,000 now, you know, because it was being foreclosed on. And, you know, here I was, I just was spending all my money instead of saving it, which is a big thing. And anyway, so like house hacking, renting it, renting a room, renting my basement on Airbnb. That was another huge thing. That's what really started me in, in the whole real estate thing. And then, you know, after that, the kind of final nail in the coffin that started me down this whole path of like, well, what can make me money is I um, listened to the audiobook book um, on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then him just talking about assets. I still remember the, him talking about assets and is just saying an asset, you know, is something that makes you money. You hold it and it makes you money versus expense, you know, or like, you know, a car isn't going to make you any kind of money unless you try the Torah thing, but Get my point. You're not and so like buy and it's funny because if you're to tell somebody this advice and it's like buy assets, it's like just buy more things that make you money. And it's like, well, that's nice to know, but how am I gonna know what makes me money, you know? But I think but that that whole mindset in that book, he just changed changed everything, how I view everything. And this is how bad it is, is like we had a garden last year during coronavirus, right? I, I just started planting seeds and I just wanted to have a garden. And in so doing my six-year-old was like interested in it. And I quickly showed him how we could sell, like we started tomato plants and I turned around and I sold five of them to a neighbor for a dollar a piece and, he, you know, gave him the money for $5 a piece. And he's like, wait, you can make money growing plants. And I was like, you know, here I am planning a business Uh, you know i'm gonna start start a bunch of plants from seed next year (laughs) you know like go in and sell them on craigslist you know and but or like have a stand like another thing is like you know he's a kid and have a lemonade stand right and like have him just like teach him the same kind of thing but yeah like like once once i heard rich dad poor dad and this whole idea of like well you can do things that make you money it's not that hard you just kind of have to figure them out you know so
1: That's a that's an interesting book I read, Rich Dad Poor Dad, a long time ago, and it, I had kind of that same epiphany of wow, there's a different way of doing things. My dad and mom were much like the poor dad in, in that uh, in that book. But uh, what other books have you read that that are uh, have been kind of key to your success and your development?
2: Uh, I'd say the biggest one with real estate was Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. That one was huge. Um, And I wish I could remember the other one. There was another book that everyone was telling me to read at the time. And it just didn't stick with me as much as the millionaire real estate investor. Um, And then another one is hold. And I think it's in that same series. Um, And, you know, it's both of those books, like hold was really pivotal for me and just kind of showing like, okay, well, this is the process, how you find them, right? This is property taxes. This is, this is the area you're going to be driving this area. Right. And, that was pretty big. And then um, from there, after that, I mean, the biggest thing I did is I was on forums all the time reading, you know, doing this, doing that. This is how you finance things. Another thing, you, another thing I did is I signed up for some of these. Um, I, I went out and I found like, OK, these are hard money lenders. And if you just go, you can go to their websites and subscribe. And they send out, they send out emails with information on them. You know, Pine Financial is the one that I'm still getting to this day, and they they're a hard money lender, and they tell you everything that you need to know on like how to do a uh, a hard money loan, and they also tell you, well, this is how you're going to do a fix and flip. This is the this is the form that you need to fill out, and it's a spreadsheet that basically goes in and breaks down everything with a house, you know, and so again, it's just like this great resource on this website that they want you to use them, right? Like they want you to use them for your hard money needs. So they're going to give you as much information as possible. So I just kind of scoured a lot of forums and pages like that, you know. And how about any uh, business books? Uh, the big one there is definitely Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I mean, I can't stress enough how much, you know, and it's funny because I had guys tell me about it. You know, it's an older book like you guys said, right? It's been around. Um, and like now looking back on it, if I was to read it, it's like buy stuff, which is kind of funny, but it's just funny how it changes the mindset, you know, of, um, here I am and I don't know anything about it. And all of a sudden the next day I'm looking at everything differently. Um, another, another one, I haven't read this one, but my wife has, and it's kind of big for her is, um, profit first, and it kind of goes in and it talks about how to run a business where you should be focused on profit over other things. I'm not sure how it goes. She has a subscription box, so I'm not sure how it translates over, but she said that the book is broken down to different business areas and things like that.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll have to get her on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do next?
2: Um, so right now, um, so to fill you in where I stand right now, and that'll kind of show where I, where hopefully I'm going, um, that Airbnb that we had in Colorado, we had it in Littleton. We just sold it recently. We uh, recently as in, you know, December, 2020. So a couple of days ago, and we sold it just because we had been living in it. And it's the two, if you live in a house two out of five years, then you can sell it and you don't pay capital gains. So we looked at the appreciation, we had got it refinanced. And when we looked at the appraisal, we saw how much appreciation was in it. And we said, well, we need to turn around and sell it. So we did that, uh, we sold it, we were able to close on it before the end of the year. Um, that first duplex that I told you about, we sold that also, That we sold that back in November. Same kind of thing, we had a lot of appreciation. Um, everyone in the partnership was kind of tired of being in a partnership, because again, no one was really doing their, the work right and keeping up with the property manager. So we sold that one and we, you know, pulled out all the appreciation we had out of that. And so basically I'm sitting on cash now. And so um, my, I personally want to try just a wholesale deal, like buy and turn around and sell. Um, I understand, you know, there could be some difficulty in that um, just in finding someone to sell it and make sure you buy it at the right point. But there's a couple of houses in my neighborhood right now that I'm looking at and I've been in contact with the homeowner. Um, for a while there, I was sending out um, letters, I was handwriting letters, and then I switched to printing out letters and write, handwriting the address and signature and did that for a while. And I, I found these that way. Um, and that's kind of, I want to approach, you know, seeing if they'll sell it, they had, they had expressed interest in selling it. So that's, I want to try wholesale. And then um, in the meantime, I mean, I'm just going to have that money sit in the stock market I mean, I'm open to having money in the stock market. Also, I'm not against, you know, using the stock market. Um, and yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest thing, you know, I diversified portfolio, right. Have it across the board, different areas. That's kind of the way I go. Um, and hopefully, you know, me personally, I want to I'm part-time right now at my main job and hopefully my wife's business takes off and then I could, you know, go down to nothing. That's my hope, but I don't nice. know, you know, if that would, if that's going to happen anytime soon. So, yeah. Oh. All right. What, what
0: other kind of things do you do for fun? Uh,
2: let's see. My big thing right now is anything outdoors related um, camping, fishing, hunting, that kind of stuff. If we do live um, in Colorado. I, yeah exactly and and the you know i think everyone that kind of lives here you, you can kind of see how if you live here you and you don't make it like a focus to go out then it doesn't matter where you live because it'd be the same as living in you know somewhere that you're on a coast or something and you're not doing anything so um we try to go out um uh, this year we would try to go camping we have three kids um ages one to six so that can be kind of tough the whole camping thing but we just you know buckled up and went out and did it and there was we did it a handful of times which is pretty good um and so yeah a lot of that um and then on top of that i like fixing things like i said appliances small engines motorcycles cars anything so very good and then yeah. where can listeners get a hold of you um i don't uh, probably the best way is facebook just look for david tippergan it's pretty and how do you know, spell your last name uh T-I-P r-i-g-a-n i think i'm the only one i'm not on anything else i'm not on instagram i'm not on twitter um i have a youtube account for my short-term rentals but it's all private so that wouldn't help very good
0: Great. doug do you have any closing uh questions or comments here
1: no i i think that uh answers the questions for me david thanks for coming on the show we appreciate you being here and sharing some insights and some of your experiences it's been uh Eye-opening for me. And uh, yeah, I think people are going to learn a lot. I
2: know I sure did. <laughs> yeah, thanks <laughs> for having too. me on, guys. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, Thank great. you, You're David. You're welcome. Thanks for being here.
0: Wow, what a great interview with David Chippergan.
1: Yeah, incredible. I love just his, his attitude and the way that he thinks about things. What do you think, Rick? What was your biggest takeaway from that?
0: I thought... He- living choosing to live in a 400 square foot like auxiliary unit while he's renting out his primary residence to you know to airbnb it to raise cash to have on hand to do more deals i mean what a sacrifice and i gotta you know give a a hand to his wife you know for supporting that
1: (laughs) yeah does she have a saint in front of her name i think uh, if not we should write the pope you know, that took a lot for for a person to, to be willing to do that. But uh, what an amazing payoff! So, what a what a great lady she must be. Yeah. How about you? What was your thing that hit you the most? You know, it's funny. I was listening and, and just thinking about that, and uh, it it turned out that it was one thing made up of all the little things, and that's really just be open to anything, whatever it is that that you think can. Potentially make you money. Don't turn your back on it. Don't say that doesn't interest me. Hear what somebody has to say or see what somebody's doing and see if it's something that you could do. Just keep your mind open to, to new ideas. That's just, I think, a huge part of, of what I took away from that.
0: Right, right. Because he's really, now he's going to try uh, wholesaling, right? The, the next thing. And uh, if there was another opportunity, he'd, he'd go after that.
1: Right, right. Exactly. I'll be anxious to uh, maybe couple of years we'll have him on the show again and see what he's doing then
0: yeah that'd be great that'd be great
1: if he has time for the little people you know yep little people like us <laughs> <laughs> hopefully he'll come back <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> great great well what do we got up what do we got coming up rick what are, what else are we looking at here for well uh,
0: i think we uh sign off and uh let the viewers tune in next week to see what's uh what we have in store for him.
1: Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, I look forward to the next interview and uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody later.